Welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio, exploring the frontiers of spirituality, consciousness, the esoteric, and humanity's sacred relationship with a living earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather, and in this episode, I'm joined by Shirley Blanca, author of The Way of Abundance and Joy, The Shamanic Teachings of Don Alberto Taxo. Among other topics, Shirley discusses the Andean prophecy of the eagle and the condor, Don Alberto's teachings on awareness, gratitude, and interconnection, and muses on the intersection of Christianity and shamanism. Also, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. If you watch on YouTube, please be sure to hit that like button and subscribe to the channel. Your support is truly appreciated. Shirley Blanca is an archaeologist and anthropologist with an undergraduate degree from Cambridge University and a doctorate from Boston University. As a scientific assistant at the American Museum of Natural History in New York, she created exhibits for the Hall of Man in Africa. As an honorary curator at the Concord Museum in Concord, Massachusetts, she has identified and cataloged more than 30,000 Native American artifacts and created new exhibits to showcase the Native American history of the area. Shirley has worked with Native Americans in Massachusetts, learned traditional sacred dance from a Hawaiian kahuna, and hosted ceremonies for an Aglala Lakota medicine man. She studied shamanic traditions with Hank Wasselman for 10 years and has worked with Ecuadorian Yachak Don Alberto Taxo for seven years. She is author of The Way of Abundance and Joy, the shamanic teachings of Don Alberto Taxo. Shirley, welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Yes, well, I'm very excited about speaking with you today and looking forward to this. Uh, I also wanted to congratulate you on your book, The Way of Abundance and Joy. Uh, it was a wonderful introduction, I think, to the teachings of Don Alberto. And that's my first question for you is who is Don Alberto? And in conjunction with that, how did you come to know him? Oh, well, that's a big question. <laughs> He's, um, I, I should say perhaps uh, start out right, right away. And I'm not sure if you know this, um, but he did pass away from COVID at the beginning of February, just, just um, before my book came out. Oh, I did not know um, that. Yes, but but anyway, um, in a way that this has um, produced some very interesting things that have been happening. Uh, however, he he was a very revered um, shaman and spiritual leader. He and as many indigenous leaders are, he had his finger in many many different pies, including politics. Um, so one of the things that I hope comes across in the book is well, what some of those different pies were or what he was doing. Um, so uh, how I connected with him, I mean, this is really not anything that I did. Um, somebody, a friend said to me, well, there's this um, indigenous medicine man who's going to be giving a talk just 15 minutes away from your home, and would you be interested in going? So I said, well, I, yes, I think I would be. I haven't heard anybody like that speak in a long time. So uh, 
it turned out it was a very hot June evening. I almost didn't go, but I finally got myself out of the house. And on my way there, I found myself very, feeling very excited and very nervous. And I thought, this is very, very odd. Why would I be feeling this way? You know, I don't know anything about this man. No connection with him. So anyway, I got there and um, it turned out he was giving a really a, a basic lesson in shamanic journeying. I don't know if your listeners know what that is, if I should say just a little bit about that. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Um, well, it, it's a method usually through drumming and singing of changing one's brainwave so that one can access uh, the part of one's brain that has creative information, uh, dreams, uh, intuitions, this kind of thing, in order to, to get that kind of information in a waking state rather than a sleeping state. So uh, there was an intermission halfway through this. And I looked at some of the literature he had set out, and I saw he was a shaman of the elements, you know, earth, air, fire, and water. And at that, I thought, oh, I think I'd better tell him that the dance group that I'm in, that's something else, by the way, I was, I was doing, was in a sacred dance group, that we have just, uh, now we're, we're about to give, um, do a ceremony at the Old North Bridge in Concord uh, in honor of water for the Global Water Initiative Against Pollution. So uh, at the end of the class, um, I, I got hold of the interpreter to tell him this. He didn't speak English at that time. I didn't speak Spanish. And um, he was standing, I would say, about 15 feet away from me and facing a different direction. So she told him the story, you know, what I was doing with the dance. And he spun around and it was the most extraordinary thing. I mean, it was like a laser of light coming out of his eyes that curled through the air as it came towards me, came right into my eyes and dazzled me. And I thought, what on earth is that? But right at that moment, the interpreter, who I'm sure didn't see it, asked me a question, and I didn't have a chance to try and pursue it at that moment. So, however, you know, my interest was really hooked. I thought I've got to try and find out what this is all about. So the lady who was his hostess for that evening wanted to go to Ecuador to try and get more healing from him because she'd had uh, damage from a fall. And she asked me if I'd like to go with her. So I said, yes, I would. And uh, we weren't going to go till the next year. So I had a number of months in which to relearn Spanish. I mean, I'd learned it some in high school, but that didn't get me very far. And I wanted to be able to hold at least a basic conversation. So by the time we went, I, I was able to do that. So eventually, um, I found myself alone with him on that trip with her. And uh, so I, I had a chance to ask him, I said, what was that light that came out of your eyes when we first met? And so he sort of shuffled his feet on the ground and he looked like maybe he wasn't sure if I could handle what he was going to say. 
And then he said, well, it was a signal. So I said, what kind of a signal? So he said, well, we knew each other in previous lives. And I took an actual step backwards at that point, because I don't come from a background that, you know, understands or knows anything about previous lives. So then when I pulled myself together a little bit, I said, well, what were we doing? And he said, well, we were healers in an indigenous environment in Colombia. But then he cut me off and he said, however, what's important is the present and not the past. So I didn't learn any more from him about what all that was about. I think I've learned a bit since. I've got a, got a message since he passed that uh, at least um, I, I've been rereading um, Michael Newton's, the hypnothera hypnotherapist's books um, on life between lives. And he talks about souls being able to focus energy in a laser-like beam, although usually it's not used in this uh, dimension, but it seems to have been done, seems to have been used that way in this case. So anyway, I've, I've been learning some very interesting things from that book. I read them uh, many years ago before I met him, and I thought it was intriguing, but I didn't relate to what he was saying, it wasn't my experience. And now I'm rereading it and things are jumping out at me all the time. So it's really quite fascinating. Yeah, very interesting. And the it's interesting that you're rereading these books because the shamanic journey itself has something to do with consciousness and an yeah. altered state or a non-ordinary state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And from what you're saying, it seems like we can still contact maybe people after they've passed through these non-ordinary states of consciousness. Uh, yeah. Is that uh, what you're saying in terms of Donna Alberto? Um, I, I would say so. Yes, I, I feel like, um, it, well, I got an urge to read this book you know, after he had passed. And uh, then all of this information in it started to hit me. So it seemed to me that that was a, a leading of some kind. Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose you couldn't believe that or not as you like, but it, it's been very meaningful to me, what right. I've been learning since. And it makes sense. Yeah. To yeah. Me. Do you think that Don Alberto led you to that or... I, I would think so, but you know, one one can view it that way or not, I suppose. But <laughs> okay. all right. Um, so uh, Don Alberto, he invited you to write this book for him. Is that correct? Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, do you have an idea of why he wanted you to do this? Well, it had to do with the dream. So I don't know if you want me to describe what that yeah, dream sure. was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. I mean, I'm not somebody, again, who pays a whole lot of attention to dreams. It seems to me my dreams are usually about anxiety. Mm. But this one was very different. Um, I had gone to the eastern coast of Mexico, what's called the Mayan Riviera, with my family. And it was after a long New England winter. And it was lovely to be in that warm climate and the warm ocean. I love to swim. And uh, so I was very relaxed. 
I think this is one of the keys to, to this. And um, so really just to be close to the time when I would have woken up anyway, I got this very vivid dream where I was standing in the um, opening of a cave, looking out onto a sunlit landscape. And in the distance, um, I saw rising above the horizon, a, a bird shape. And as it came towards me, it got bigger and bigger until its wings were completely shutting out the light in the whole sky. And I saw it was an eagle and it kept on coming to me and then uh, landed just in front of me. And at that point, I saw that it had the face of a Native American lady that I knew. Mm. And then at that moment, there was a, a ballpoint pen that sprouted little wings and it was fluttering backwards and forwards between us like this. And so the eagle laughed and she said, oh, yeah, now we know why you write so well. You have a magic pen. Well, I thought this was a joke, you know. I mean, <laughs> um, and but I did recognize that it was a pen I, I, that I thought was mine. I mean, it had a pale blue color and a black design. I didn't take in what the design was. Uh, then I woke up. And when I woke, I realized that I had that pen with me and that it was one that had been sent to me in the mail a few days before. And I didn't remember where from. It was one of these things that were promotions of some kind. Uh, and I just stuck it in my bag and there it was. So I looked at it and the design, the black design on the pale blue background was of different sizes of feathers. And at that moment, the word pluma came in my head, which is the Spanish for both pen and feather. Mm. So that to me was a clue that maybe I should tell this dream to Don Alberto. I knew, had known him about two years at that point. And when I did, you know, he, he said, well, uh, I hope you'll write a book for me, right? And um, so it, the actual construction of the book is quite complex because he asked me to write, or he asked me to translate um, a book which was published in Spanish by a, an Ecuadorian anthropologist. And uh, she had taken a number of interviews with him, but he also wanted me to write about my own experience with him. So uh, when I looked at the book, I, I read the book, and I, I liked the interviews, but I, she had set them in an anthropological context. It was somewhat academic. And I felt that they could reach many more people if they were told as a story mm. and, and handled differently. So he, he said, okay. And, um, and then I said, but you know, also I've only known you for two years. You've had students here in North America who've uh, studied with you for many years. How about asking some of them to say how you might have affected their lives? And he thought that was a good idea. Gave me a list of people and their emails. So that made it easy for me to contact people. Uh, so the, the book is actually in three parts. The first part is uh, about his early life. Um, and there's some great stories in that. 
come out of the interviews. The second part is his teachings. Um, and there's also a bit there where I have tried to set his teachings in a wider Andean philosophical context. And then uh, the last part is the reflection of students and some associates, so one of whom is John Perkins, who's the author of uh, New Confessions of an Economic Hitman, and it's Akbiri who's written a number of books on shamanism. So, um, so that's, that's how it came about. Okay. Yeah, I was very surprised when I got to the section, uh, the interview with John Perkins. Uh, because I knew him from, you know, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Yeah. Uh, but I had no idea about this other aspect of his experience in life. Um, yes. So. Well, it was very, very important. And he's written some books on shamanism, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he was somebody who feels that his life was saved by the shamans actually in the Amazonian part of Ecuador, I think it was. So, uh, you know, that that changed that was what changed his whole um mindset about you know what he was doing as as an economic uh, high flyer for the government basically mm, quite fascinating yeah. uh one of the major themes i think or key ideas that weaves throughout the book is this prophecy of the condor yeah. and the eagle yeah and I was wondering if you could maybe speak to that a little bit, because I think that'll give us um, a lot of context for the entire conversation uh, that we'll be having. Okay. Um, well, yes, I mean, this is an Andean prophecy and people may well have heard about it before. Um, there have been mainly Peruvian shamans coming here teaching about this probably for 20 years as Don Alberto also has been doing and but he devoted his whole life to this prophecy and there are different ways you can understand it but um, the main one is that uh, the the eagle is North America and in which by the way they include Central America and that um, the, the North Americans are mainly oriented towards um, logic, you know, or, or at least that's the primary orientation. And then there's the South America, who is the condor, and they're oriented more towards awareness and feeling um, and perception. <laughs> and so the prophecy is that these two uh, will fly together in the same sky, and in doing that, they will produce a civilization of the kind that's never been produced before. And that the time for doing that is now. Right. So that, uh, and it started, you know, I, I guess at the end of the 1990s, that, that was when the decision was made by the South American Shamans Council that they should take this message north to us, you know. So uh, that's what they've been doing for, for 20, 20 years. And um, so um, he, he's, you know, been teaching, but not on a big scale, I would say. And I, I think perhaps uh, part of that, I mean, m- many of these people who speak good English have been on, um, on the internet, you know, on, on the um, 
the, the sites that uh, have courses in, in shaman, shamanic um, knowledge from the Andes, but he didn't speak English. And so that limited that aspect of it. But he's been teaching small numbers of people for many years. And I'm, I think he really um, was very anxious for the, this book to come out in English um, to, to reach a wider audience. And um, one person who interviewed me made, made the comment, well, you know, maybe his dying now has to do with the fact that his work is essentially done, that, that hopefully the book will spread and that, that people will learn about it. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I want to address that. But the thing that immediately also comes to mind is this idea of, uh, you know, what he had said to you when you first met was that you had shared previous lives together. And one of the things I wonder is if he is going to, and, and in that previous life, he said you were both healers and then he was a healer in this life. And mm -hmm. I was wondering if he's going to come back again um, because it seems to me that this message is something that especially the, northern eagle is going to need to hear over and over and over oh, yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. yeah well um i don't know i mean he said to me that uh, i mean he his whole belief system and, and this is something which also michael newton is talking about that it's um, a reincarnational system mm -hmm. and um but he was saying to me he was hoping that he didn't have to come back again Mm. Uh, then somebody else heard very recently that he was not going to come back again. I don't know if it's for him to make that decision, but anyway, um, so uh, who, who knows yeah, at this point? Yeah, yeah. well, I, I found that the message was so relevant and, um, and I think it's important. And I know that other teachers from South America, other shamans, have been saying similar things. And, and I just wanted to give a little bit of current context for this. Um, you know, we're recording this on March 21st, the day after the spring equinox, 2022. Mm. And right now the war in Ukraine is capturing all the headlines. Yet it was reported last week that the Antarctica was 70 degrees Fahrenheit. That's about 40 degrees Celsius. And the Arctic was more than 50 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, 30 degrees Celsius, warmer than normal. And the environmental journalist and author George uh, Monbiot tweeted over the weekend that, and this is a quote, the war we have waged against the natural world has in climatic terms just gone nuclear. Yeah. And it seems to me that this message of Don Alberto is so important right now um, mm -hmm. uh, because I see his teachings as being inherently ecological. Yeah. Uh, one yeah. that he taught that everybody, everything is interconnected. Sorry, everything is is what? Sorry, interconnected. Interconnected, yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, yes. I mean, to, to me, the important aspect of his teachings is how 
in a way, how easy it is. It's almost so easy that you think, you might think there's nothing to it. But the important thing is to keep doing it. And if you keep doing it, it actually changes your whole mindset, which is what I, I found. Um, I might say what he did with um, my friend and I, this is after um, what I was talking about um, with him saying about the previous lives. He took us on what he described as a pilgrimage. So he was driving us uh, through the countryside. Uh, he started out before we left with a fire outside and um, is, you know, offering prayers to the four, four directions to and to Mother Earth. Uh, this was in, in Quechua, his uh, native language. At the time, I didn't understand what he was saying, but uh, that was what it would be about. I blew a conch shell in the four directions. And then we started out. And um, he, he said to us, well, you, you need to understand this is a sacred journey. So driving along, he would do things like um, there was a little shower. He would open the car window, stick his hand out to feel the rain. And um, I'm sure he was giving thanks, although at that moment he wasn't saying it out loud. Um, and or he would sometimes stop the side of the road. He would take a leaf and let us smell it. There are some lovely um, lemon plants there. Uh, we could look at a flower. And so the important thing he was saying is to be aware of what's around you in nature. And if you're attracted to something like a flower, um, to really appreciate it um, if it has a scent, you know, take in the scent, and to give thanks for it. And so if you do this on kind of a regular basis, it really does, I found, it, it kind of lightens your mood. Right? Mm. And I, I think I noticed this particularly because I grew up in England. And as a child, I was on my grandparents' farm and I'd roam through the fields and the woods and I'd pick wildflowers and I'd look at the hunter's moon at night and out of my bedroom window. Anyway, I felt very connected to the environment. And then I came here um, to the US, you know, as a young adult, and suddenly I didn't know anything that was around me, what any <laughs> plants or the trees or anything were. And I tried to get around that by uh, reading, learning their names in books, and I mm -hmm. found that didn't work. I mean, I just felt alienated from it. Mm -hmm. um, and I always say that it, yeah, I mean, after a bit, I kind of pushed it in the background. But with Don Alberto's teachings now, what I find is that while I may not know what the things are, I feel connected to them. It's made me feel able to be connected to this environment that I'm in. So I think that's important, perhaps, for a lot of people. And he also has suggestions of how to do it if you live in a city, too. Mm. So, um, you know, there's a lot of good, simple, basic advice in this book. And I think what I like about his approach is the fact that he doesn't, didn't wear fancy clothes, he didn't have fancy hats, he didn't, I mean, he did, yes, use a drum and a rattle. And um, I feel very honored he gave me his rattle at, at one point. Uh, but otherwise, you know, he looked like a modern 
guy. And right. <laughs> um, one thing actually I, I just learned about him, um, which is, uh, there are different versions of this in the book. I mean, when he was a young man, he uh, was wearing long hair which um, I think was in part because uh, a Colombian mentor that he had considered hair to be sacred. But I think this is a, a Native American view anyway. And uh, then one time when he was in California, um, he, and I've just heard this from the lady who was with him at the time, he took a knife and cut it off. And he offered it as a into the fire as a burnt offering for humanity mm -hmm. in a ceremony that she was she was giving at that time and after that he had always had a shaved head and i only ever saw him with a shaved head um so you know i i just um i'm thinking about the fact that you know he made this sacrifice of something that was really important to him on behalf of other people at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciated this aspect of his, of, uh, I think that uh, the way you put it in the book, uh, and this is a quote of his, uh, the path I teach is to be awake all the time at every moment of our lives, to have open awareness of every moment of our walk. And this was very reminiscent to me of some of the teachings of Buddhism. Um, you know, you made a point in the book to clarify that when he talks about this path of feeling, that it's not emotions. That's how we often think of feeling, but actual kind of sensation. Uh, yes. The thing is, that what, that's one word in Spanish is a sentir, but in English, it can be either feeling or sensation. So you have to kind of think carefully okay. which one you're going to use then. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. It, it reminded me of the Buddhist idea of mindfulness, which I think in a Western context, we often associate just with what's going on in between our ears. Yes. But really, it's this idea of being aware of the present moment and yeah. all the sensations and feelings, you know, both, you know, that's going through through us at all at all times. Um, yes, and one might feel a bit overwhelmed at the idea, well, one's supposed to do this all the time. Yeah. But he, he was, you know, very, um, somebody who just uh, really eased anxiety all the time he would say if you forget you know don't beat up on yourself don't worry about it just when you remember do it mm -hmm. and you know I, I think if you it probably it's like any other practice if you keep doing it when you remember remember then you get, get so you remember a bit more mm. to do it and so on yeah yeah and it, it comes to mean more to you the more you do it in fact yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that's something else I really appreciated was that there seemed to be a sort of spontaneity to oh, yeah. spirituality for him. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, that's what I, I really in, enjoyed. And um, I mean, I, I've said in the book that I enjoy, uh, well, I joined the Episcopal Church in middle age, really. Um, 
because I felt a need for some kind of spiritual outlet. I wasn't brought up with any religion. And uh, uh, so I like the uh, liberal aspect of, of that Christianity, but I also have a hard time with the liturgical side of it, which um, I can't really, I can't do it on a weekly basis because I, I like the, um, like you say, the spontaneity, the spontaneous approach so much better. So, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I want to hang on with, uh, hang in with the people who were there. And uh, so I, I try to kind of balance the two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I found it very interesting because it was at the, towards the end of the book where you discuss being a member of the Episcopal Church, but yet you also have, this interest and practice in the shamanic and i was curious how you kind of combine or reconcile the two um well i think you know i've always probably been a seeker throughout my life and uh, well i should say that i i suppose i got some introduction to anglicanism as a child because my grandfather was organist at the local Church of England church. So I grew up with the music, but my family not being religious, my, my grandfather, in fact, didn't belong to the Anglican church. Um, so I wasn't brought up with any of the theology, any of that. It was just, just the music. So that was the really what drew me to the Episcopal church originally. Um, and you know, there's a, a lot of the theology that I don't really hang in with. I mean, I like the the creation theology aspect that Matthew Fox has developed. And so, when I discovered that, I thought, "Aha! Well, you know, this makes it possible for me to hang in here, and um, and also it fits with with the shamanic aspect, which I had learned about when I was in college originally." got interested in that way yeah i had the great opportunity to take a course with matthew fox um uh, oh yeah my, yes. my yeah right. meister eckhart and yeah i uh, recently reached out to him or at least his publicist to see if i could get him on the podcast as well because i would love to speak to him about that uh his uh creation spirituality right well, um, yeah, I had the opportunity once to, to, to tell him a little, little bit about Don Abeto, and I keep thinking I should get in touch with the yeah, publicist yeah. too and say, would you like to read this book? Yeah. <laughs> so, because I think he would be interested in it, but I haven't got that far yet. Yeah, yeah, I think he would appreciate it very much. Um, yeah. And, and one of the questions I wanted to ask you, and I hope you don't feel that this is unfair, but it's in the context of kind of balancing the Christian Episcopalian and, and the shamanic, do you think Jesus was a kind of shaman? Uh, yes, I do. And um, I, I might not say that out loud to too many people around <laughs> the house. Um, although I think they're very open-minded, they, they would understand that. Um, but certainly Don Alberto, his view was that Jesus was a very powerful shaman. And from knowing, uh, you know, having been around Don Pedro as much as I have, I do feel that he's kind of um, 
a model for probably for what the way Jesus would have been in his own time. Um, and, and also, actually, the, the whole uh, orientation of uh, Andean healing strikes me as being similar to what Jesus was doing. Jesus never, never did the same kind of healing twice. Um, but sometimes he used uh, techniques that are actually very similar to what's used in Ecuador now. Um, but it was, it depended on intuition. He decided what the person needed in the moment and, and did that. And uh, so my feeling is that we could probably understand a whole lot more about who Jesus was during his life if we knew more about indigenous practices such as those that are conducted in Ecuador now. Um, and in fact, uh, on Thursday this week, my church is having a healing service and I've been asked to give reflections in it. And so I'm gonna talk about this, in fact, this is what I'm gonna say. Oh. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, mean, I think, um, people will accept it all right i think they're open enough at this point that they will mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah well i've often thought that there was a shamanic aspect to jesus simply based on the fact that one of his primary roles if not the primary role was as a healer and that was what? as a healer uh, oh, see, yeah. healing people and i think that that's one of the primary functions, if not also the primary function of a shaman is healing. Yes, it is. It is, right. Um, And I I would say that there's something else I I learned from uh, my experience in Ecuador. I had um, an experience that, that turned out to be a visionary experience. I don't know if you want me to describe that, but it had the effect, it made me realize that, um, you know, if you don't make a mental distinction between um, kind of the dream world, visionary experience and ordinary everyday life, you can, uh, in fact, sometimes not tell the difference between them, Mm. which was something that I had never thought was possible before. Um, because when I was doing a shamanic journey, I always knew which reality I was in, whether I was in the dream world or not. But in fact, with this experience in Ecuador, I was in the dream world and thought it was part of everyday life. So that tells me that some of these stories you run into in the Gospels um, were in fact visionary experiences. Um, and the people who wrote the Gospels didn't make a distinction between them and so that creates a problem perhaps for people now because they don't quite know what was going on then right um so so what happened with this experience was that Alberto took my friend and me uh also his his partner and their young son and we went to a sacred lake and there was a a promontory that a man-made promontory that was had been built out into the lake and it was grassy and it had a bank in it and um, he and his family they they stopped one side of the bank and had a 
picnic and they told my friend and me, um, I think he probably gave us some uh, bread crust or something to go around the other side and um, make an offering to the lake, right? So um, when we got around the other side at the back, we sort of parted company, we went in different directions. And I stood there and I thought, what am I supposed to be doing here, praying to a lake, or what do I think I'm doing? You know, aren't I supposed to be Christian? And then, then I thought, well, I don't need to uh, you know, have all these scruples, really. I can just uh, say thank you for being here at this time, which is what I did. And then out of the corner of my eye, I saw Don Abato at the edge of the water, and he had a condor feather, dipped it in the water and flicked it in my direction. And it hit me full in the chest so that I stepped backwards. And then he dipped it in the water again, flicked it again, it hit me full in the face. And I, it was, I really felt it. Right? Um, and I thought, this is odd. You know, it seems like this is some kind of an initiation, but he didn't say anything to me about this. So then um, that was the middle of the day. There wasn't anything special about it. It was sort of a gray day. And the rest of the time was quite busy. We went sightseeing. We looked at things on stalls. And it wasn't until I got into bed at night that I had time to think about it. And when I thought about it, it suddenly hit me. I didn't get wet. You know, I, my shirt wasn't wet. My face wasn't wet. I didn't have to dry off. And I thought it must have been a visionary experience. And, and it shook me up because, as I said, you know, before, previously I had always known what the difference was. So the next day, you know, I asked him about it. And, um, and, and I, first thing I said was, were you really there? He said, no, I wasn't there. And then he got quite excited and his eyes flashed and so on. And he said, that was the power of water. That was a real gift for you. It's something you can use in healing. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, you know, this is sort of at the bottom of the kind of experience that one reads about in the Gospels that people now don't understand at all. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's really given me a different perspective on the whole thing. Yeah. Do you think that this kind of conversation or uh, reciprocity between Christianity and shamanism, would you consider that part of this eagle and condor prophecy? Uh, that's an interesting question. I don't really have never thought about it <laughs> that way, but I, I think um, probably it is. I mean, in a way, I think, well, what I feel is that that Christianity needs to open up its mindset. I think we're stuck with, um, you know, fifth century theology, and um, we need to be more open to what's going on in the modern world. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, if people can be open to, to the shamanic approach, I think that's a good thing. And I, I believe the younger people probably can be. Mm -hmm. But I, I think this, this sort of hidebound theological view is why so many people are walking away right. from Christianity at the present time. Mm -hmm. So um, 
you know, I don't know about, about Buddhism. Uh, he never studied Buddhism, I asked him. And uh, so, but I think his approach, as you said, probably, you know, has some similarities, at least with some aspects of Buddhism. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it, it reminded me, in, in terms of Buddhism, um, the Zen tradition, um, I know that there's this aspect of you know, the awareness is being aware of the, all of the sensation and the, all the feelings. Uh, when mm-hmm. I teach this in class, I often give the example of washing dishes um, because I don't like washing dishes, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's like, you know, don't stand there and think constantly about how much I hate washing dishes but rather mm-hmm. to be in that present moment and to feel the water and to feel the soap and the weight of the dishes and to be totally immersed in the experience. Yeah. Um, and that that's what being present and being awake really is. Um, and that's why I was making a comparison because it seemed like Don Arbelto was saying something very similar. Yes, and, and of course, what you're, you're using that um, story makes me think of Brother Lawrence. I mean, this was, I'm sure, what he was doing. He was doing cooking all the time, and, and everybody thought he was a saint, you know. He wasn't doing anything really except cooking. Um, but yes, um, and, and then something else that Don Alberto would say was, well, it's easy to give thanks for things you really enjoy, but it's also important to think, give thanks for things you don't enjoy. Um, and you can say, well, you know, I don't understand this. I don't know why I have to go through this, but I will trust that it's to teach me something. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was interested the other day because a friend of mine, um, you know, who had heard this from me said, oh, you know, I've always been bothered by the big trucks driving driving down the hill outside my house because they put on their brakes and they make this terrible noise. And then she said, the other day I was thinking about what Don Alberto had said when one of these trucks did this. And so she said, I actually um, looked at the truck and I saw it was a food truck. And she said, it changed my whole view because we have you know a, a grocery store the other side of the road. And I thought, well, here, you know, we have this easy access to food. And whereas there are a lot of people in the world, including now in Ukraine, who are uh, having difficulty eating. Um, so she said, you know, it just, that just changed my mindset right away, right there about it. Right. So I thought that was a good example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's an excellent example, actually. And, and I wanted to ask you about this because gratitude or the expression of gratitude seems to be one of the core aspects of his teachings. And, you know, that's also a message that runs throughout the book. And I think you've addressed this, but I thought I would ask just more directly, you know, why is gratitude important? Um, well, I don't know if I have the, the ultimate <laughs> answer to that. <laughs> I mean, it's important in Christianity too, at least in some right. aspects of it. Um, but I think it because it's because it. All right. Um, 
I think whether you believe in um, a transcendent being or not, um, if you do, maybe you can feel that you're expressing something to that being um, for, for a gift. Uh, and even if you don't, well, you can also, it is also a gift of some kind and it can, um, it can actually raise the, the way that you feel, you know, if you're in a depressive mood, it can make you feel better if you say thank you for what's around you. Uh, so I think whether one is religious or not, that it can be an important practice mm. to do that. Yeah, it, it changes seems, your relationship to what's around you. Yeah, it seems like it's a an approach of embrace rather than kind of rejecting the negative. Rejecting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, I, actually, another interviewer said to me what he got out of the book was the development in Don Alberto's um, mindset himself, where as a young man, he was sort of um, fighting against, and by the end, he was fighting with. Mm. And, you know, I thought that was a, a good comment. I mean, because originally, um, well, all right, I've said in the book how his father was killed in front of him when he was a a young man of 19 and deliberately run down. So he had a sour view of, um, you know, the dominant culture there. And uh, he said, I had been thinking about to myself, well, why don't my people, you know, there are more of us than there are of them. Why don't we just get rid of them? Why don't my people do something? Why don't the elders do something about it? And then he, over time, he learned that his culture was one of peaceability and the, their understanding that the reason they've survived for really 500 years of domination um, is because they didn't fight back. Uh, so they've had to put up with a lot, but they're still there and they still hold on to their ancient beliefs in, in many ways. So, um, you know, he came to an understanding that his ancestral teachings had importance and had importance beyond just their own culture. Yeah. But his, his father and his grandfather were also Yachaks, that is, they were medicine people, and um, they also were devoted to the eagle and condor dream, and they brought him up with that. And I think his father definitely foresaw that he was going to have to, you know, that Donovetto was going to have to uh, engage with the Western world. And so he saw that he was educated in different Western mindsets in order to do that. Yeah, and along those lines as well, um, in the... 1990s uh don alberto was a leader in a right. um uh, uprising of indigenous people in ecuador right. and um i was wondering if you might be able to speak a little bit in regards to his political activities um well at that time yes i mean um uh, they were the indigenous in ecuador were really looking to be given a voice in government and uh, there wasn't there wasn't just one uprising then there were several um and 
it, it was successful in the end. I mean, for a while he was a hunted man and has a story about hide, hiding in a sagebrush and the soldiers never finding him. He somehow was inv invisible. Um, but eventually, yes, they were taken much more seriously uh, and had a, began to have a political voice. And also the, they got written into the constitution that the nature was important and that it needed to be protected. Um, since then, there's been some backsliding, um, partly, you know, with multinational companies uh, exploiting the oil in the uh, and the Amazon and so on. But um, and also, but more countries now do have that in their um, their constitution. We're not one of them, but anyway, people are are taking nature more seriously uh, in general. I just hope we're not too late. Was all. Yeah. Yes, I I hope so too. And you know, one of the questions I usually save this for the end, but it seems like the appropriate time to ask uh, in regards to the teachings of Don Alberto and nature. Um, and I think maybe I'll ask this in two aspects and one i don't know if you can answer but in regards to the environment right now and the environmental concerns do you think that don alberto was hopeful for the future uh, and then i want to know if you're hopeful <laughs> okay um yes well interestingly um i i'm he his last recorded speech, as far as I know, was given in May 2020 um, in response to the pandemic. And he and several other Yashaks were invited to give their um, response to this. So one of the things that he said was that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about um, doing something about pollution or the air and the water, um, helping the environment, but it's all really been mainly talk. Nobody's done very much. But he said, in my view, Mother Nature is capable of healing herself, that she has the power uh, to do all of that. And, you know, we are part of Mother Nature. We don't control mother nature that she's her own spirit and can can handle things right um so he was you know sounding a hopeful note there so i i think i will take a leaf out of his book and say that i hope you know that that things will manage to to turn around he also, um, before he went into hospital, which was in, in January, he was giving almost weekly presentations on Zoom that some of us were watching. What he was doing at that time was teaching us to raise our emotional level by thinking about you know, pleasant experiences we'd had or looking at pictures that appealed to us. So we can raise the emotional level there. And then 
you know, try and project love outwards to the world. He said the world needs love projecting out to it. Um, so I think that's an important teaching also. Uh, and, um, I, you know, I, I do wonder a little bit, uh, after talking to you earlier about sacrificing his hair for humanity, I wonder a little bit, since he died really less than a month before this whole Ukraine business, whether in fact, you know, he sacrificed himself too at that point, because I think, you know, he, he was at a point with the disease where if he had been willing to be intubated a certain time, maybe he could have pulled through it, but he chose not to do it at that point. So I don't, I don't know, but that's just, you know, coming to my head today, in fact. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. It seems like in terms of the healing that the planet has to undergo, I understand and agree that mother nature is going to be perfectly capable of healing herself, yeah. but that the greater healing has to start with us. Yes. And our yeah. connection to mother nature. Right. Well, I, I think so. But I think a lot of people are going in that direction. Um, but as I see it, the problem is the, you know, the people who are in control of, you know, big, big business and, uh, and, and in politics and so on, they don't seem like they've got the message yet. So I don't know. Right. right. Um, one other aspect of, Donabeta's message that intrigued me was that he says the, the, the place that we're in at the moment is what he calls a Pachakuti, um, which is the world turning over. Mm. And this is not the first time that it's happened, but um, this is the world turning over from 500 years of, at least for them, for domination, where the, there's been domination by a sort of an aggressive male orientation um, that now what we're entering is, is the rise of, of female spirit, not only in the female, but in the male, um, which can lead to an era of peace and, and understanding and, and hopefulness. So, um, you know, that again is a positive message. And obviously um, we're very much at the beginning of it, if it's happening, you know, I, I like to trust that it is happening. So. Yes, I hope so as well. <laughs> uh, I do. And I see signs of it. I see signs of it. And I think that there is concern uh, by more people now. Um, but, you know, we have to get towards those at the top somehow, some way. Um, yes. Uh, but it's something I think that has to begin at sort of the bottom and rise up. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, yes, I, I think so too. I mean, obviously, it's not happening from the top and coming down. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there are profit reasons probably for why that is so. Um, yeah. I, I, I used to be amused. There was a, a medicine man I knew here in Massachusetts who was um, he was involved in politics too, and he had this phrase: "The scum always rises to the top." <laughs> and I won't explain that anymore. <laughs> we can take it whatever right. we want once. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Well, and it, 
I like this idea. And these are ideas that I think are so important. And this is why I found the book so interesting and valuable is not just, you know, this gratitude and the notion that we are in nature, but there are practical ways that we can attempt to incorporate this in all of our lives. You know, I like that. Um, uh, it was the, uh, in along lines with this spontaneous spirituality, these ritual actions and, uh, the teaching is that, uh, that people should create their own rituals out of their heart, um, as they appear in their daily lives. And I was wondering if you might be able to offer an example of what that might look like. Uh, well, I think anything that you're, you're, you're doing in a way, I mean, you could even be washing the dishes. Okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, an example that um, his, his wife is doing at the moment is planting corn. So if you have a, a garden, you know, it's, it's planting things that are going to grow. Um, or, you know, one of their forms of doing this was just to make offerings, you know, of whatever you might have. Uh, if you have some sage, that's nice, but it doesn't have to be sage. It can be anything. Um, make an offering in the environment. Uh, in a place that attracts you and um and again to give thanks but but i think the the idea of the ruroi the the ritual really is is to do with action of something that you're actually doing you know like planting or or, or something along those lines to do with your work mm. um and somebody commented to me that you know my engaging in in interviews to do with this book is a form of rurai so um yeah i I think that gives an idea i hope anyway yeah yeah (laughs) no it does and uh, i only have a a couple more questions for you but uh one is that donna alberto uh, you describe him as an elemental shaman or a Mm -hmm. shaman that worked with the elements the elements yeah right and the four elements I think most people are familiar with, but there's also, you describe a fifth element. Yes. And I was wondering if you could maybe explain that a little bit more, what this fifth element may be. Um, Well, I, you know, I don't know a whole lot about that myself, but my understanding is that it's the four elements all together. Okay. It's the unity of the four. Um, and that somehow, you know, that has even more power than they do separately. Yeah. Okay. And so, but, yeah, and, and I think he, he used um, oil as an expression of that. I mean, in the healing, they, you know, they used um, a plants, plants and, uh, and spraying water and a candle for the fire, or real fire. Um, and then the oil at the end was the ushai. Mm. Okay. Mm. And is uh, he worked with all the elements, correct? 
Yes, although pr mainly I think for him it, the most important one was water. Okay. Um, but he seems also to have been a fire. Um, the fire element was part of him. But one of the things, one of the points he makes, I think, that is also important that all of these elements are a part of us. I mean, we tend to think of them as being outside us, but we have what our bodies are something like 70% water. Um, and then the, there's the heat, heat inside us, there's the fire. Uh, also, the way that they expressed sexuality was the fire of life. They didn't have a word for sex. Um, the wind. Um, so the breath, you know, the breath is very important. So all of these things are aspects of us as well. Right. And you personally work primarily with water uh, in your healing uh, practice. Is that correct? Um, no, not really, because um, you know, I've, only, I've only had a chance to use that kind of technique with a few people, you know, with the Andean technique. I'm actually a member of the hands-on healing group at church. Um, and of course, we haven't been able to do that during the pandemic, but we've had sort of Zoom sessions. Um, so uh, I've not found a way really of including water in that, but I've come to the conclusion that maybe the technique is not so important that what's important is rather for the people who are engaged in it to trust uh, that what they're doing is effective mm. um, and to, to have, you know, a belief in what is happening. So, you know, whether you're sprayed with water or whether you're just laying on of hands or whether you're just hearing prayers through Zoom, I feel like all of that can can work, you know, if people believe it can work or trust that it can work. Right. And, and you make a distinction in the book, which I think is an important distinction between healing and curing. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, well, curing is sort of the physical where the, the, the physical symptoms go away and you're, you're completely whole on a physical level, but you can be healed in the mind and spirit, even though the body may not be cured. So, you know, the mental spiritual part can be perhaps more important even than the other, because one likes to be whole physically but um if that doesn't happen then one can be whole in the other ways hmm. Hmm. what do you think if you had to guess what do you think don alberto's legacy will be well i would hope that people you know might practice you know his his simple teachings a little bit to, to feel connected and um, will find that their mood goes up. I mean, I think one of the problems right now is people are generally quite depressed because of all the things that are happening. So I think it can help that way if people, you know, take it seriously and do something with, with it. Hmm. So I, I'm, I hope that that's what will happen. Yeah. 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 Do you think his teachings will um, have a shelf life? If I ask it that way, I suppose. 
Uh, that's hard to say. I mean, I think there's there's a lot that can happen um, with them before maybe they become obsolete. You know, be, but in a way, I don't think they'll ever be obsolete. You know, it's always important. I think. Yeah. Well, it's like you said. I think that we're at the beginning of the uh, world turning over. And, Hope so. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and being um, at it, the beginning, I think the teachings are important. Yes. Um, and, and for me, I was thinking that, you know, what Americans are going through, uh, I, I think is there's a lot of them are suffering for the first time. And maybe in Britain they are too. But having grown up in Britain during the Second World War, um, I think I have a certain maybe resilience that comes from that because for instance we never knew whether a bomb might be dropped on our heads at any time and in fact there were people who lived a mile down the road who did have a bomb dropped on them so it wasn't just a mile mile um just a i want to say uh, um a, an anxiety that wasn't real so i mean we learned to live with it that's hmm. what, what i'm saying Right. So I think to some extent, one has to learn to live with what's going on now. Right. Right. Yeah. And we, we don't like to, we don't appreciate the hardship, you know, going back to what you said earlier. You well, know, nobody you appreciates to... the hardship, but you get used to it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but it's, I think it's important to identify the gratitude, you know, of, or try to develop the gratitude that the hardship can be a great teacher. Yes, exactly. Yes. And if you never have any hardship, well, you know, you don't develop, I think, either right. or often. Right. Yeah. There was a story in the book, um, I think, with a snake uh, that you found a snake in, uh, in yeah. your house. And uh, Don Arberto gives a story of the, uh, finding a thorn um, and that the thorn is necessary for the snake to shed its skin. Yeah. Yes. Yes, all right. Um, and the snake is also a sim female symbol of wisdom, which we, or, I mean, a symbol of yeah, so female wisdom, which I was very nice for him to tell me. Mm. <laughs> so um, yes, and, and uh, you know, in, in the part of the book that talks about the more the Andean um, context, that there are these. Uh, understandings about the different directions and the different animals connected with them and uh, one of them is the snake and there's also the the shamanic perspective of the three levels you know the level we live on there's a lower level uh, which is not at all the same as, as our idea of hell and there's the upper level which does have the more the angelic beings but the the lower level one is interesting. I mean, he talked to me in terms of a, a natural cycle where you have the plants with the seeds in the ground, uh, which is the lower level, and then they grow up um, into the air, which is our level, and then the seeds develop with the flowers, and then that's the upper level, and then it falls back again, the seeds onto the ground. So it goes around or it goes in a perhaps in a spiral, more, more than a circle. So um, so the lower level is, is, in their view, is sort of a, a recycling place. Uh, 
is a place of where uh, life begins. It's where life ends and it also begins. And there's a, a very interesting uh, gallery and a museum in Peru that I went to um, that shows pre-contact uh, um, statuettes and a, a number of them show skeletons who are that are in sexual attitude, attitudes and you think what the heck is that about and it, I think it's a visualization of this lower level there's the death and then there's the rebirth again coming out of it so they don't really have a, a, a sense of evil. They, they think rather in terms that these are ne this is negative stuff that, that can be you know, dispersed or recycled or you know, really recycling, I think, is the basic idea. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Do you think that their idea of evil is more like an imbalance? Um, yes, I, I think so. Um, and you know but maybe yeah um i mean people can i think get i don't know that they, they can get caught up in, in negativity so some of the the healing is sort of the dispersal of negative energy that, that's a good part of it mm -hmm. um and there are some yachaks who specialize in in doing that particularly in connection with the lower level there, um, the dregs, you know. So, uh, yes, I, he had a, a story, too, of a man who um, was trying to draw him into conflict. He would see, meet him in the, in the street, and this man, you know, would, would try to kind of get him to react negatively. And Don Abeto instead would just smile at him. And eventually, um, this might not be a result one would really want, but the man committed suicide. And he couldn't handle the fact that he couldn't draw this man and draw Donabeto into a conflict. Um, and I, I guess he, you know, got angry at himself instead. So, um, but his, his message there was, you know, to try and meet people who are negative with, with positivity. And I, and I think that's perhaps too the message of Jesus's message of turning the other cheek. You said that his wife is continuing his work a little bit. Uh, did he have any children? Um, yes. Um, and uh, yeah, he has actually with her four young children. I mean, she, she's the, the latest wife and um you know the oldest is eight and the youngest is one so she's got a lot of lot to do there you know? yeah. Mm. yeah yeah i was wondering it's too early to tell i suppose i was wondering if any of those would follow in their father's footsteps as a healer since he seemed to be a generational healer as well yeah um well she herself is a yachak and she said she you know, was intending to bring the children up that way. And apparently one of the daughters, who is only, I think, six, five or six, has already said she wants to be a Yachak like daddy. Mm. So, yeah, you know, um, but you have to 
want to do it. Uh, in a way, one of the things that was interesting to me about his story is uh, growing up, I mean, he grew up with with this environment, but they're all yeah, trucks, so he just sort of absorbed it. And But then he wasn't really sure, ended up, particularly after his father's death, he wasn't sure that was really what he was meant to be doing. And he had some struggle before he completely accepted it. So, Well, um, Shirley, I am so grateful for the time uh, that you shared with me this morning. Um, and uh, I am very grateful for your sharing the teachings of Don Alberto uh, as well. And uh, I, uh, the book came out late last year. Is that correct? No, it came out in February. In oh, fact. February this year. Okay. This year. All right. Yes. Yeah. Sorry out. about that. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and um, uh, I imagine it's available at most bookstores. I will put links in the show notes and video descriptions uh, for right. the book. My final question is what do you have um, coming up in the future for you? Uh, what are you going to be working on next? Um, well, at the moment, I'm, I'm working on, you know, I'm trying to complete you know, what I've been doing for the last 40 years, in fact, which is working on the archaeology of the local area and to, okay. to write a book about that. So that's what I'm engaged in right now. But I have a feeling I'm going to get more uh, involved in in Don Alberto's things, you know, down the road, it'll, yeah, it'll yeah. come happen somehow. Well, I, but I, I have these two projects, you know, this is yeah. the second one now I'm on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you, you live in a very fascinating area. Um, I would love to visit Concord at some point. Um, oh, yes. Uh, yeah, some of my heroes are from there. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, it's sort of the center of the American Revolution and everything. And, uh, but to me, um, you know, one of my, uh, thoughts about this and what my or my orientation is well you know there were 10,000 years of another kind of history before the English ever arrived and so that you know I've spent a lot of time just trying to put together these collections that people may have made actually with the last over the last hundred years um, picking things up in the fields mm -hmm. and uh, one thing that they did well was to keep track of where they found them. There are all these notebooks who say where these artifacts came from. So that's very important. I mean, I've spent a lot of time putting it on the computer and so that it can be sorted out hmm. and uh, you can see the patterns there. So anyway, we'll, we'll see. There'll be a pre-conquered pre conquered, conquered <laughs> yeah. coming out at some point. Yeah. Well, I, well, I always personally think it's really important to know the places where we live and not just the, the, the plants and the animals and the insects, but also who the indigenous people were and how that's they true. lived on the land. Yes. Uh, it always seems to me yes. that that's so vital. Well, yes. And I, I think growing up where I did, um, you know, oriented me that way because, uh, for instance, um, there were, this was in, in Britain, there, there were earthworks around us and nobody really quite knew what they were. And this intrigued me, you know, my parents were interested in history, so I had that orientation too. And I thought, who made these things, you know, what were they doing here? And then another thing was that the church down the road had a 
brass with a Norman French inscription on it. And I said to my mother, what were the French doing here? You know, so I, <laughs> I had this idea, you know, that you live in a place and there are a lot of other strange people who were here as well. And wouldn't it be interesting to know about them? Mm. So I grew up with that, that viewpoint. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then another aspect of it was that my grandmother, um, whom I, I knew well, and uh, I, I remember this from being about five years old, and she had a lady to tea who was a, an acquaintance rather than a friend. And my grandmother said, I don't know why it is that where the British people go all over the world, they always think they're better than everybody else. <laughs> I, and so then the lady, whom she didn't really know that well, drew herself up and she said, well, aren't we? <laughs> so I, I remember that from being five years old. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the, I think Americans inherited that, you know, <laughs> that yeah, attitude quite a bit. Um, and, and, and we're not, we're not. So, well, Shirley, thank you again. I'm so grateful for this time. It was a delight speaking with you. Um, and uh, I really encourage everyone to uh, get a copy of the book, uh, The uh, Way of Abundance and Joy, uh, The Shamanic Teachings of Don Alberto Taxo. There's so much wisdom to share in there. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you. Right. And that's a wrap on episode 35 of Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you so much for listening or watching if you are part of my YouTube audience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to give it a positive rating on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. It only takes a second and your five-star ratings really do help. If you have a minute to spare, please consider posting a short but positive review. And please consider subscribing. For those viewing on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. Make sure you hit that notification bell so you will be informed when I upload new content. With a few exceptions, I've been releasing episodes weekly and would like to continue doing so. I'm also working on creating additional video content for the YouTube channel, including book reviews, educational videos on topics concerning spirituality and the history of religion and the religious response to the climate crisis. But that extra content takes a lot of time and work. If you would like to support me in creating free and credible material on YouTube and continuing with this podcast, please consider making a one-time donation via PayPal. You can find a link for that in the video description or show notes. Your support makes this podcast possible. I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to Rebel Spirit Radio. Until next time, may you be in peace, may you flourish in all possible ways, and may you continue to nurture your rebel spirit.